clothes. Just see me afterwards. Also, how many have been attending our Wednesday night dangerous prayer series? I'm telling you, man, it has been awesome. If you've not been here, get here. I intended this only to be a three-week uh, series, uh, but we're, we're going beyond that because I feel like there are several prayers I think God is asking us as, as a church, as individuals, to begin praying. Were y'all ready? First, I want to welcome our Facebook audience. Thank you guys for joining us. Man, and if you've not had a chance to join this group of crazy people live, come and find out what you're missing. Uh, I will tell you, we are not for everybody. And if you can see the audience, you would see that's true. Um, <laughs> hey, we're in, we're in uh, the, the series Marriage Stories. And this is another one of those series. I have every intention of ending it today, but... Um, we may go a couple more weeks in this series. Uh, but week one, we looked at this marriage story of Jacob, Rachel, and Leah. Uh, we talked about God must always be your one and your spouse your two. And when two are seeking the one, anything is possible. When you're seeking the one, week two, we, we looked at the passive husband and the controlling wife, uh, the marriage of King Ahab and Jezebel. Uh, last week, we looked at the marriage story of Abraham and Sarah and talked about how your expectations don't always line up with your reality. What you expected going into that marriage, five years in, you're realizing this is nothing like I thought it would be. Anybody relate? Not a one, not a one person can relate, just Denise and I. The rest of y'all, Denise and I need to get marriage counseling from you. Um, hey, listen, uh, but here, here's the thing. This week, as we kick into today's message, I want to encourage you, no matter where you're at in your marriage, um, if you've just started and things are going great, or if you're you're into them and you're thinking about separation or you've already separated or even uh, the papers have been filed for divorce. Here's what I want to say to you. Don't throw in the towel just yet. Don't throw in the towel. Let me pre pre preface that by saying this. I'm not telling anybody to stay in an abusive relationship. Are you hearing me? That's not what I'm saying at all. But I, I believe there are some abusive relationships that the best thing, the safest thing for you to do would be to separate, get counseling, then try to work on that marriage. Are you hearing me? I'm not saying it's to stay there and be abused. I believe if that's you, there's a healthy way. But I'm saying that in your marriage, don't give up and don't throw in the towel. Are you familiar with the term throwing in the towel? If, you, if you're not, I grew up watching boxing with my dad, and I grew up when boxing was good. Uh, I'm talking guys like uh, Joe Frazier, uh, Sugar Ray Leonard, George Foreman, and of course, Muhammad Ali, when, when boxing was full of the greats. And in, in boxing, if you're getting beat up or if your corner thinks you're in a rough place, they could throw in the towel, and that will end the match. It's over. You're done. And I've seen many fights where the corner threw the towel in and the, their fighter is angry because they thought I had more in me. 
I wasn't the hurt that bad. I could still keep fighting. I could have won this fight. And that's what I'm saying when I say, don't throw in the towel. There's more in you. There's more fight in you. Are you hearing me, church? Now, listen. I know. I, I asked my wife. I got up last night, and I was showing her. I said, babe, what do you think about the outfit? She said, uh, you, you look awful relaxed and comfortable. I said, I am. And I'm going to be there all day tomorrow, so I'm going to be relaxed and comfortable. But that's not what I asked. How's it look? She said, good. I said, I knew that. Let's move on. <laughs> but here's the thing. If you are quiet, y'all know me. We'll be here for, if you make me, if you make me work for it, we're going to be here for a while. But if you respond, even as an occasion, maybe sleep, amen. Hey, I'll take it. I'll take it. But, but here's the thing. Don't throw in the towel. Here's what I realized. Um, there are those here today, you've walked through a divorce. You tried your best. You did everything you know possible to try to make that marriage work. And it was the other person that decided they had had enough and walked. I realized that. I also realized there are those here that if you're honest, you know you were the reason and the cause of it. And you did some things, said some things that you regret. My goal is not today to make anyone feel bad. Because if you know anything about Denise and I at all, you know we were, we were that, that perfect where we were married young, uh, not to each other, different people. And then, you know, at 18, I got married. By 21, I was divorced. And, and, and she was married at 17 and divorced within six months to a year. Uh, so we're not here to make, what I am saying is this, listen, let's don't let the past define where we're going. Whatever happened in your past, why don't we repurpose it and say, I'm going to learn from that and that's not ever going to happen again. And, and so I, that, that's where I'm at in this. And we can't change the past, but we can't allow it to help us move forward. And so no matter what, just ha what happened in the past, married or not, we're not going to live or dwell there. Amen? Yeah. Okay, are y'all ready? Yeah. I told this joke at the uh, 9 a.m. My wife didn't really like it. Uh, and I didn't have time to run the jokes by her. But I'm still going to tell this joke because I think, I think it's funny. Uh, uh, but, but there's this married couple. They were getting ready for bed. And the husband's over there laying in bed. He's watching TV. And he looks up and his wife is standing in front of the mirror naked. And, and she's just like, oh, I just don't like the way I look. I, I look fat. I look old. Honey, I could really use a compliment right now. He said, well, babe, you've got perfect eyesight. Come on now. Come on. That was bad. That was, but it's funny. Some of the men are going, babe, not, no, not you. I, we got to start out with Joe Cox. Can I be honest? Today's going to be tough. Today's going to be tough. Um, and I'm going to encourage you to stay with me through it because I believe God's going to speak and do a work today. Um, where are my married people? Hands up. You're married. Whether they're here or not with you. Now, I want you to keep your hands up. Now, where are my people along with them that you hope to be married one day? You'd like to be married. Yeah, that's all, it's all right to admit it. Get them up. All right, you can put your hands down. Now, now, let me ask this. Married or not, 
How many, this is what your long-term plan look like when you think about getting married or you were thinking about getting married. Here's a go. I'm going to get married, have a kid or two, have a great job, and then I'm going to have an affair, cheat on my spouse, and get a divorce. And not Nobody. Nobody that's in your long-term plan, right? That's not even in your short-term plan. Yet it happens all the time, right? Can we be real? It happens all the time. In fact, the truth is no one plans on that, but according to which study you look at, somewhere between a third to half of marriages, one of the spouses has cheated on the other one. That's today. Over half of those will get divorced. And don't respond, but why is that? Why? Nobody plans on it, but why do we do it? And if you're sitting here thinking, this is not in my notes, but if you're sitting here thinking, pastor, preacher, whatever they call you, I could never do that. I could never be that person that cheated and and did that. Well, that means you're stronger than the strongest man in the Bible, Samson. You've got a better relationship than the one that the Bible says was a man after God's own heart, David. And you're wiser than King Solomon. Because all three of those men of God found themselves in this situation. So don't ever say, I can never. Because all of us are one decision away. Are you hearing me? So don't get, don't get there on your high horse and think, oh, it's not me. Because all of us are one decision away. But a believer, I believe the reason that we see a lot of uh, the infidelity, a lot of divorce today, here's, here's one of the reasons. I believe that society and culture has done a horrible job at training and preparing us for marriage. On the other hand, I believe society and culture has done an incredible job of preparing us and training us for divorce. Here's what I mean by that. Uh, Our society, it it tells us, it trains us, playhouse, pretend you're married, do married things, stay the night, live together, all the comfort of marriage without commitment. And here's what we've done. You're dating, you're having sex, you're living with someone, and when things don't go the way you think they should go, or when the tingly feelings leave, hey, all I got to do is pack my stuff and leave. Done. I'm on to the next. And it trains us when we're in marriage. We grow up. Society says that's what you do. So now when we're married, we're, in, we're married. Divorce is, hey, you don't like the way things are going. You don't like it wasn't what you expected. Pack up your things. Move on to the next. Move on to the next. And, and that is why society culture has done a great job at training us for divorce. So today we're going to look at a marriage story that is both painful and beautiful. It shows one person that have every right to divorce, every right to leave, but God had something different in mind. Today we're going to look at the marriage story of Hosea and Gomer. And if you're not familiar with the story, Hosea is the man, Gomer is the woman. Suddenly your name isn't that bad, is it, ladies? <laughs> So, uh, I only know one Gomer, Gomer Powell. <laughs> Let me give you a little backstory. 
this was 760 years before Christ, for his birth. Uh, Jeroboam II was a king of the northern uh, kingdom of Israel. The economy is booming. The economy is going great. And back then, as it is today, we have a tendency when things are going great to forget who got us there. Come on. And that's basically what's happened here. The children of Israel have, have uh, pretty much rejected God. They've walked away from him. Their, their morals have gone down the drain. So God does what he's been known to do. He raises up a prophet by the name of Hosea and brings him on to begin to speak to the people about their morals, failure, and their sins. And he does it in a very unconventional way. If you got your Bibles, turn with me to Hosea chapter 1. If you don't know where I'm going to bring it up here on the screen, the way he decides, decides to speak through Hosea and work through him is, honestly, it's a weird, weird way. It's just unconventional. Ch check this out, verse 2. When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go marry a promiscuous woman, have children with her, for like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. That word promiscuous literally means prostitute. God said, go marry a prostitute, have kids with her. That's the way God is getting ready to speak. So he married Gomer, daughter of Deblame. She conceived De blame is also, anybody remember Fantasy Island? De blame, de blame. No, no. That's a bad joke. Uh, he says, and she conceived and bore him a son. Here's a good question. Why would God call this young and upcoming prophet to marry a prostitute and have kids with her? I mean, there's several layers to this story when you read it. You've got the layer of Gomer and Hosea. Uh, you've got the layer of, uh, of God, the picture of God loving his children, even though they're unfaithful to him, and he's trying to woo them back. So throughout this entire story, you've got all these layers, all these meanings buried in this beautiful yet painful story. Let's modernize it. Let it make it a little more up to date. You've got this young girl. Uh, she's got a terrible reputation uh she she has sex to support her habit support her addiction well you've got over here you've got a young up-and-coming preacher he wants to serve god be obedient to god and one day god says hey you know that girl that you see hanging out at the truck stop i know you know what she's i want you to go marry her and and, and the young up -and preacher probably thinking this is going to go great on the evangelism trail God's telling me to marry this prostitute, this addict. We're going to get married. God's going to, bam, clean her up. We're going to hit the road. She's going to sing. I'm going to play piano, and things are going to be great. And she's probably thinking, well, you know what? He's a nice guy. He's not that good looking, but at least he has a driver's license. Just going to let it sit there, ladies. Is it uncomfortable yet? Well, at least he's got a job. He comes from a good family. So she says yes. They get married. They both get, uh, got their hopes and dreams of what their marriage is going to get like, be like. They go on their honeymoon to the outer banks of Gatlinburg. Um, <laughs> they get their matching airbrush T-shirts. Uh, they get their airbrushed uh, license plate to put on the camel. Uh, things are going great. 
uh, things get a little crazy on the honeymoon. She ends up pregnant, have, and they're like, hey, let's name him Jacob. Oh, no, no, that's her ex-boyfriend's name. Well, she does have a lot of ex-boyfriends, so we're going to be here for, for a while. Uh, let's name her Sarah. No, let's don't name her Sarah. The only Sarah I know is a jerk. Come on, don't tell me y'all didn't have those conversations. Went through the, oh, I don't like, no. I, the only person I know, they, they weren't nice. Uh, but before they know it, baby's here. And they're both ecstatic. They're both filled with joy. They're happy. They're dreaming. Their life is coming to pass. They're dreaming of the future together. Then life happens. Life happens. Maybe the way it happened to you, ladies. Maybe you spend a lot of time at work. Spending a lot of time out with the guys. He's not helping around the house. He's not helping with the baby. Not helping with the kids. And resentment begins to set in. You begin to notice every little thing that he does wrong. He, don't, he never takes out the garbage. He doesn't know how to change the oil. He, doesn't, he, doesn't, uh, he comes in from work and all he does is go straight to the couch, never worries about what I've got going on. She gets upset. Let's herself go. She's letting herself go. Her body's not what it used to be. She's just had a kid. She's got all these crazy hormones going on. She feels trapped. She feels neglected. She's not paying attention to his needs because he's not paying attention to her needs. Come on, we can act like it's not happened, but it has happened. Then one day she's at home scrolling through social media, scrolling through Facebook. Oh, an old, old boyfriend messages her. Suddenly, she's got some feelings she hadn't had in a while. She starts going to the gym, going to get in shape, starts going to classes. The trainer compliments her. Oh, wow, that's nice. She goes to the store. The clerk is like, oh, you look beautiful today. Oh, that's something she hadn't heard in a while. Then all of a sudden, she starts noticing all the bad, everything that's not right. And, and guys do it too. In case you're wondering, guys do it too. And, and, she, and before you know it, Hagar, just like we do, begins to buy into the most common lie and misconception when it comes to marriage. If you're taking notes, it is this. What I'm missing is better than what I have. I've got a good guy. He's a good husband. He's a good dad. He makes a good living. But I'm missing something else. Or guys, man, she's a good mother. She's a good wife. I mean, she keeps the house just right. She does. But I'm just missing something else. And it happens to both men and women. And look at Hagar's response when she's missing something. And what she thinks, what she's missing, she thinks is better than what she has. Hosea 2, verse 5. She said, I will go after my lovers who give me my food and my water. My wool and my linen, my olive oil and my drink. So what she does now, people have been doing for centuries. She trades the 80 for the 20. Here's what I mean. Studies show that in a decent marriage, one, uh, one person, one spouse, that, that spouse, if they're, they, they, they can provide 80% and meet 80% of that other spouse's needs. Now, I'll go ahead and say this. No one can meet 100% of your needs. No man or woman alive can do that. But they'll meet 80. But what happens is 
You trade the 80% for the 20% they're not meeting. You give 80% up and wind up with far less because all your focus is on what you don't have and what you're missing, what they don't provide for you. Are you following me? In Hosea, he is delivering about 80%, but there's this 20% that he's just not delivering. And all her focus shifts to the 20% he's not providing. And she ends up trading the 80 for the 20. What, what was the 20% that her lovers had that Hosea didn't have? I, I mean, I don't know. Maybe the 20% was he listened to her. He paid attention to her. He'd bring her gifts. He'd compliment her. He'd tell her how special or how beautiful she was. On the opposite side and in the man's world, the 20% may look like something like this that he's getting from that other person is, well, she doesn't tear me down. She tells me I'm good at different things. She enjoys watching sports with me. She laughs at my stupid jokes. She's just more exciting. And men and women alike end up trading their 80% for 20%, believing the lie that what I'm missing is better than what I have. And that is exactly what Gomer did. Gomer ended up having a son, and then she had a daughter. The name given to her daughter was Lo Ruhamah, which means not loved, no mercy shown. She ends up having a boy. Uh, the name given to the boy was Lo Ami, which means not my people, not related. See, these names that were given were much more than names. They were revealing the hurt in God's heart for what he was watching his people do. They were revealing the hurt that God had watching his people reject him after he poured love on them. And if you've ever been cheated on, you know the hurt and the pain. And God felt cheated on. In, in fact, God felt very much like his people were committing spiritual adultery. He's hurt. He's angry. He's jealous. He has every right to be. Why? Because God doesn't just want part of you. He wants all of you. And he's angry at the spiritual adultery that's taking place. I want to show you God's response to spiritual adultery. This is how our sin makes him feel. God's first response, righteous anger. That's God's response to our unfaithfulness to him. Righteous anger. There's this, un, there's this unrighteous anger and there's righteous anger. There's a big difference. Are you hearing me? There's unrighteous and righteous. Look what he says. God says, She has not acknowledged that I was the one who gave her the grain, the new wine and oil, who lavished on her the silver and gold, which they used for Baal, false god. Therefore, I will take away grain, my grain when it ripens, my new wine when it is ready. I will take back my wool and my linen, linen intended to cover her naked body. So now I will expose her lewdness before the eyes of her lovers. No one will take her out of my hand. No one's going to take her out of my hand. The Old Testament, God refers to himself as a jealous God. Jealous God. Mary says, hey, have no other God before me. 
No, you love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, mind, and strength. Here's the thing. These people, they know how good God's been to them. They know how faithful he's been to them. Yet here they are being unfaithful and rejecting God. Can we be honest? We did the same thing. Come on. We know how faithful he is to us. We know how uh, good he is to us. We know how relentless his love is for, to us, even, even when we're doing things we shouldn't. Yet we reject him. We, we don't live faithful for him. So you can hear in these verses, you hear the hurt and the jealousy in God's voice toward these people. In verse 9, it's like God saying, hey, oh, you want to try doing life without me? You want to try doing things your way? Go ahead. See how it works out for you. See how it happens. You kind of see that. And then, and, and then I feel like God with us sometimes does that in their marriage. You, you want to do your marriage without me? You, you want to only invite me into your marriage when you're having trouble? Go, go do marriage without my presence. See how it goes for you. And sadly, that's the way a lot of marriages are living today without his presence. At the end of verse 10, God says, no one will take her out of my hands. There is a time for righteous anger, guys. Are you hearing me? Not unrighteous. There's a time for righteous anger. When your marriage is in the middle of a breakdown or it's broken down, when, when one or the other has been unfaithful, when it's two people living in that same house but living separate lives, that's when you need a righteous anger to rise up in you. And you say, no, we both made a covenant to God. And I don't care what's going on. I don't, I'm not about to walk away from this without putting up a fight. I'm in. Come on, Mary, where are you at? I don't care what they said or done. I don't care what's happened. I'm not about to throw in the towel. But then again, that's tough because we've been trained that when it gets tough, things don't go in our way. Let's pack our things and go. Listen to me. You may have grounds for divorce. You may have every good reason, but that doesn't mean you have to Walk away without putting up a fight. Without putting up a fight. God's response to spiritual adultery, righteous anger. His second response, though, unfailing love. Mick, could you ask them to keep it down in the back, in the lobby there? Unfailing love. As quickly as God shows righteous anger, God begins to show unfailing love. As quickly. It's okay to be angry. Sometimes you have every right to be angry. But can I tell you this? You will not move further in that relationship or any other relationship if you stay angry. If you stay, nothing will change. Nothing will happen. So it's okay. But I want you to watch this shift, verse 14 of Hosea 2. Hosea 2. Therefore, God says, I want you to, the poetry in this, I am now going to allure her. I will lead her into the wilderness, speak tenderly to her. There I will give her back her vineyards and will make the valley of Achor. Pay attention here, guys, because it's so good. I will make the valley of Achor a door of hope. There she will respond as in the days of her youth, as in the day she came out of Egypt. That word, achor, 
It's not in your notes, but you may want to write it down. It literally means trouble. Trouble. So read it like that. I will make the valley of trouble a door of hope. There are two ways you can have a great marriage. Ready? I'm about to help you out. First one. Ready? Don't sin. Don't get angry. Never be selfish. Never mess up. Always put the other one first. Do those things. You will have a perfect marriage. I see the snicker. Why? Because it ain't possible. We're human. We do stupid stuff. Come on. How many husbands, your, your wife is like mine, uh, instead of, because, men, we are so simple. We want to be told exactly what you want us to do. Thank you. But how many of your wives like mine, and she doesn't just come, she will ask a question instead of telling you. Come on. Like, you, you, underwear's on the floor. Instead of Pick those up. I understand that. I'm simple. Are those yours? I hope so. We got more questions to ask. We're here. Look, y'all are laughing because y'all know that's true. And we're, we're, we're human, so there's no way we can get it right. The second way to have a great marriage, walk through the valley of Achor together. Walk through the valley of trouble together. And I can promise you this, if you walk through that together with God leading, he will lead you to a door of hope. I'm telling you. I'm telling you, no one can do the first one. Not, 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 not a person. We all mess up. We all sin. In, in marriage, nobody get, always gets it right. Amen? You, you mess up. You sin. You, you do the wrong. And then you, you, you cry together. You apologize. And you get up and you begin to walk through this valley together. Together. And God will lead you to a door of hope. I'm telling you guys. You, 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 it's easy for us to see someone that's got a great marriage. But we don't see the valleys they've walked through. All we see is the great marriage. All we see is the, the, the pictures. But we don't know the valley of betrayal they walked through. We don't know the valley of addiction they walked through. We don't know the valley of pornography they walked through. The valley of lies and deceit. The valley of financial instability that they walked through. The difference. They chose to walk through it together with God leading I'm telling you guys, there are marriages here today, and, and I, I acknowledge this where, where one of you has just given up on marriage. You may not say it out loud or verbalize it, but you've given up. And I want to make a promise to you if that's you, is this, if you will begin to pursue God, and especially if both of you will begin to pursue God, I'm telling you, yes, you will walk through a valley of trouble. But with God leading, you will find that door of hope. I'm telling you, I'll make that promise to you. I, I acknowledge this. There are some here, and your spouse, you know your spouse is not about to walk with you. Kelly, Kelly what do you do? You begin to walk alone with God. Here's what it looks like. You begin to walk alone with God. 
with one hand outstretched, believing that they're going to begin to walk this with you. Are you hearing me? Not, not this. By God, if they don't want to walk it, I'll walk it on my own. <laughs> Ain't nobody can catch up with you. God's like, you leave me behind. Come on now. No. You say, you know what, God? I don't like this road. I don't like this valley's trouble. But I'm going to walk it with you. And I'm going to leave a hand extended for when they're ready to join me. And when they're ready, I will welcome them with love. Because we're in this together. I'm telling you, that's good. Whether you... Oh, oh, that's a... Thank you. That's like I feel like I'm playing golf. (laughs) It is good. Some of you here today, you're you're in the middle of the Valley of Trouble, the Valley of Acar, and you're like, Kelly, I just don't see any hope. I don't see any chance of this. There's not even a flicker of light at the end of this tunnel. Well, I will reiterate what I asked last week. Is there anything too hard for God? So Hosea has been nothing but faithful to his wife, Gomer. Even in her unfaithfulness, he shows her love over and over again, and she just continually rejects him. And he has every right to call it quits. Then God gives a very clear and challenging word to Hosea. I want to read this word from the message translation. Here's what God tells. She's out prostituting herself. She's out with several boyfriends. And here's what God tells Hosea to do. Then God ordered me, start all over. Love your wife again. Your wife who's in bed with her latest boyfriend, your cheating wife. Let's stop there. God says, Hosea, here's what I want you to do. Your wife is in bed with a man right now. I want you to go find her. And I want you to love her again. Come on, be honest. That's tough. Come on, that's tough. You know what they've been out doing? And God said, go love them? Go, go, Go do that? How do I do that, Kelly? He's about to give us the answer. God says, Love her the way I, God, love the Israelite people. Even as they flirt and party with every God that takes their fancy. God says, here's how. Love her as God loves the Israelite people. Let's put that in today's language. Love her as God loves us right now, even though we don't deserve it. Love her as God loves us in the middle of our unfaithfulness. Love them like God loves us while we're putting other things before him. Love us like God loves us when we're rejecting him openly. Love like God loves us even though at times we use him as just a good luck charm. Love. He said, you don't have to do that. Love like I have loved. Love and forgive as I have loved and forgiven you. Man. Here's the thing, though. God tells Hosea to do that. Hosea has no guarantee that she will reciprocate. Hosea has no guarantee that when he puts himself out there on the line, that they'll still be married at the end of this. If they still won't go through the divorce. 
No guarantee that he won't be rejected again. Can we be honest? Rejection hurts. It hurts. And here's the truth, guys. Even if you do everything right, there's still no guarantees. Kelly, this is not a comforting message at all. Here's the thing, though. Even though we can't control what they'll do or what will happen, God is very clear on what we as followers of Jesus should do and how we should react. Love and forgive as we have been loved and forgiven. Please hear me, hear me, hear me. I'm not saying that you forgive and then you go and become a doormat for them to walk on. That's not what I'm saying. It doesn't mean that if you're trying to reconcile that you don't lay down some stipulations to what's going to happen. Uh, well, what do you mean? I mean, if there was a pornography problem that, that was causing the division in your marriage, it doesn't mean that you don't forgive and you say, you know what? I love you and I've forgiven you. But for a while, you're not going to be on the computer unless I'm in the same room with you. You're going to get covenant eyes put on your phone. On your everything you do. So, so I and have somebody that you're accountable to that knows where you've been visiting websites. I, just because you forgive doesn't mean things don't need to change. Come on now. I'm telling you, there's nothing easy. Nothing easy. Whatever, here's the thing is that whatever your spouse chooses to do, we as followers of Jesus... We've got to choose to do what's right and what he tells us to do. And there is nothing easy about that. I can almost promise you this. You're going through that. You're going to have friends. And I think they're well-meaning friends. I think they're friends that, really, that care about you. They, that they're going to come up to you. Ask Tiffany. Ask other people that are going to come and say, this is stupid. Get rid of them. Leave them. Kick them to the curb. It's divorce them and never look back. And I, I don't believe they, I believe they care. They, they're tired of seeing you hurt. But what if God is saying, don't throw in the towel just yet. Don't quit just yet. Don't stop fighting just yet. See, my goal is not to bring guilt or condemnation on anybody that's walked through a divorce. Because there are times when you've done everything right. And you still end up divorced because the other person threw the towel. And don't look at Denise and I think, well, man, they've got it all together. They're the perfect couple. Ask people that hang around us a lot. In fact, we've been known to make a staff meeting very uncomfortable because she won't listen to me. No. We're not. I mean, you, you factor in the stress from being a pastor. You factor in uh, the rejection that even though we know it's not personal, but that you feel when people leave or when people do this. You factor in the, the inadequacy that can, you can be made to feel because things that people have said about you. But, and, but you know what? Here's the thing, though. And you do it too. Don't act like you don't. Even though it's not anything that has anything to do with her or me, we have a tendency to take that out on each other. 
And the thing is, so if you look up here and see, we, we do have a great marriage, but it's only for one reason. Because we chose to walk together through the valley of trouble. We've walked through the valley of losing a child. We've walked through the valley of lies and deceit. We've walked through different valleys of things. And we walk through them together and with God's leading. And God always leads us to a door of hope. Stand with me across this room. God tells Hosea, 